Greetings and welcome to another Different Church Podcast. My name is Jarrett. Hope you're having an awesome day. I'm recording this just after midnight on Sunday night, Monday morning. And I got to tell you what, I'm feeling pretty darn good. I just watched the Bucks beat the Saints. Apologies to anyone out there who's a Saints fan. I've had my fair share of heartache in the sports world, and I know it sucks, but I'm excited. Bucks are going to the NFC Championship game. And we are one win away from being the first team ever to play for the Super Bowl in their hometown. How crazy would that be? Anyway, thank you so much for listening. We have a really awesome uh, sermon for you here in just a few minutes. Uh, Hannah is going to be talking about the story of Eli and Samuel. And usually uh, you'll hear about Samuel in that story. But she actually focuses on Eli a little bit. And it was great. It was, I, I love whenever she gets kind of nerdy and Bible-y and all that stuff. And if you like that, you're really going to love today's sermon. Uh, before we do that, I just want to tell you about a couple of announcements we have coming up. Uh, just three things, really. We are super pumped to be doing events again. That is awesome. It, you know, it's so hard to feel connected to your community that, oh, by the way, you're just starting to grow because you started a church like a couple weeks before a global pandemic, (laughs) but events are back. We can actually kind of hang out with each other again. Hallelujah. So we've got three things. Uh, Number one, there is a uh, virtual diversity and inclusion training, and that is going to be Wednesday, January 27th. It's actually virtual. It's going to be done on Zoom, and it is our 1.0 training. Uh, a bunch of us have already done it before, and it's great. You might even see some of us doing it again because it's been so long. Basically, it is a place to go to learn and to ask questions, um, to really take time to focus on how other people, specifically in the LGBTQ plus community, uh, want to be treated. And we think it's our duty as a church to learn about that and uh, create a place that Uh, people in that community would feel welcome to be a part of our community. So that is the goal to just help us to learn and to grow and to understand each other better and to ultimately make a, a, a great place for people to come be a part of different church, no matter what their background is. Um, We are doing a 2.0 training on Monday, February 15th. That one is also virtual. So both of these are actually virtual events. Uh, You got to do the 1.0 first before you can do the 2.0. But please, by all means, do both. We would love to see you in these events virtually. Uh, It is on Zoom, so we can see your face. Um, So you can go to diff.church and click on the events link. And from there, you can RSVP. And that would be awesome. Uh, We've also got something really cool. We are doing yoga in the park on Crescent Lake Park. It is on the 6th of February at 10 a.m. And it's going to be led by Theo. Uh, one of our buddies, and I'm calling it the yoga. It is a word that I made up. <laughs> anyway, that's all the announcements that we have. We are getting ready to jump into a sermon that I am calling Preaching While Wearing a Baby that actually came from a social media post today that my wife posted, and I thought it was so adorable. Um, she took a picture of Hannah wearing a baby while she was preaching, and she put a little caption underneath it that said, March 2020. One day you're going to see me up here preaching while wearing a baby. And here we are. And it happened. And I'm so excited. Um, I love it. I'm so happy to have Hannah back uh, 
bringing the word and I'm so happy that Nova is a part of our church family now. Uh, anyway, baby Nova totally made her debut today and she's just strapped to the front of Hannah. So she's asleep, but we're gonna leave it that way because she had a rough night. <laughs> she had stomach ache, she was up for hours. It was the saddest thing in the world. So I don't really wanna wake her up. But if she wakes up, I can promise you, Jared's gonna have to mute me very quickly because she's very loud. So I just, forgive me, please. <laughs> if she wakes up, I will take her out and I will give her to my mom. And then we'll just keep going because this is real life, right? She's five weeks old. <laughs> I cannot control, I wish I could control because I wish I could make her not have a stomach ache. There's like nothing worse than a sad, distressed baby cry that you can do nothing about. <sighs> my heart. And there's nothing worse than the cliche being true that it is different when it's your own kid. Other kids can cry all the time, and I'm just like, who cares? They're fine. Babies fuss sometimes. She cries, and I'm like, the world is ending? I don't know what to do. How can I fix you? Okay, so now that's out of the way. I am excited because we're going to talk about Samuel today, and I have um, a lovely friend named Amanda, and Amanda and Samantha have been part of our OG Different Church crew since the very beginning, and she's going to come and read our text for today for all of us, and so give her a hand. She doesn't want to be clapped, but you have to clap her anyways, because I love her. Good morning. <laughs> I'm going to be reading from 1 Samuel chapter 3, verses 1 through 10. It's a long one. Meanwhile, the boy Samuel served the Lord by assisting Eli. Now in those days, messages from the Lord were very rare, and visions were quite uncommon. One night, Eli, who was mostly blind by now, had gone to bed. The lamp of God had not yet gone out, and Samuel was sleeping in the tabernacle near the ark of God. Suddenly the Lord called out, Samuel. Yes, Samuel replied, what is it? He got up and ran to Eli. Here I am. Did you call me? I didn't call you, Eli replied. Go back to bed. Um, oh, I missed my spot. So he did. So he did. Mm -hmm. <laughs> then the Lord called out again, Samuel. Again, Samuel got up and went to Eli. Here I am. Did you call me? I didn't call you, my son, Eli said. Go back to bed. Samuel did not yet know the Lord because he had never given a message from the Lord before. So the Lord called again a third time, and once more Samuel got up and went to Eli. Here I am. Did you call me? Then Eli realized it was the Lord who was calling the boy. So he said to Samuel, go lie down again, and if someone calls you again, say, speak, Lord, your servant is listening. So Samuel went back to bed, and the Lord came and called as before, Samuel, Samuel, and Samuel replied, speak, your servant is listening. Thank you. I need you to come read to this baby. That was so calm. That was like the calmest, like a delightful Bible reading voice. You should be on audiobooks. She is a teacher. <laughs> okay, so let's do a little background before we talk about these verses. So we have Eli and Samuel. There's only two characters in this, these verses. Eli was the high priest of Israel, one of the last two judges, Eli and Samuel, before the monarchy started and we had King Saul and then King David and then King Solomon, all the major players. Now, the tabernacle where Samuel is sleeping and where Eli is, it's basically the pre-temple place of worship. So before the temple was built in Jerusalem, 
there was basically essentially a fancy tent that was set up in different places. And that's where all the worship of God happened. And that's where the sacred objects of worship were housed, including the Ark of the Covenant, which you will know about if you've seen Indiana Jones. So this is where everything was. And it was in the town of Shiloh, which is about 20 miles from Jerusalem, because Jerusalem wasn't really a thing yet. King David made it a thing. He decided to make it the capital. So it was there for like 370 years. This is near the end of when the Ark was at Shiloh, because... Bible trivia that we'll come back to later. The Israelites took the Ark of the Covenant out of the tabernacle, and they took it into battle with them, thinking it would give them a leg up, but then it didn't. God was not on their side, and they lost the battle and lost the Ark of the Covenant to the Philistines, who were like a seafaring people who are like a pretty strong antagonist to the Israelites in the Old Testament. They show up over and over, and they're always fighting. Um, They lost the Ark of the Covenant, and then it was no longer at Shiloh. It was the end of that. And then it was a couple other places, and then it was in Jerusalem. So Eli was the high priest. He was in charge of the worship for everyone in Israel. He was top person. And he came from the tribe of Levi, which is, there was 12 tribes. And Levi was the tribe. They were designated to take care of the temple, to take care of the tabernacle, to do everything for the worship of Israel. Like if you were in the tribe of Levi, you got to be a pastor. That's it. You had no other vocation. (laughs) There were no other options. It's not like, oh, mom, I really want to be a doctor. No, you get to be a pastor. That's it. Too bad if you're not good at it. That's just your calling in life. So he's from the tribe of Levi. He's the high priest. And he was also super old, as our passage said. He had been in charge for 40 years at this time. So he was losing his eyesight. He was getting really old. And then we have Samuel, who is the last judge before we have a king in Israel. And his mother, Hannah, was unable to have kids for a really long time. Fun fact, I was named after Hannah in the Bible, and when I was little, I used to be like, I have a person in the Bible named after me. That's how important I am. I was not important. (laughs) Now that I'm old, I realize (laughs) that was not the point. So she couldn't have kids for the longest time. So she went to the tabernacle, and she prayed so hard and so long that Eli saw her and thought that she was drunk, like wasted, praying. She's on the ground. She's like screaming. She's flailing around. She's doing all these things for hours. And he's like, you have, how dare you come in here having consumed all the wine? And she was like, I am not drunk. I've had zero alcohol. I'm just praying really hard. And then Eli was like, oh, well then in that case, God will grant your request. (laughs) What a weird story. So God does grant her request. So she has Samuel. That's her first kid. And when she was praying, she promises God, if you let me have a child, I will dedicate him back to you. So he will serve you forever. So she had Samuel, and then she actually had several more kids. But she kept her word. And so when Samuel was old enough, he goes back to the tabernacle to live with Eli and to help him with anything he needed. And this is where we pick up because Samuel becomes the last judge, and he becomes this great prophet, and he anoints the the first two kings of Israel. But when we are talking to him, talking about him, he's like a teenager. None of this has happened yet. In fact, our scripture says he, didn't, he had never heard from the Lord. He didn't know what God sounded like. So he's sleeping in the tabernacle near the ark, and there's a lamp that is on all night. He's basically like the security guard for the temple because Eli is old. He's not going to stay up all night and make sure nothing's happening. So Samuel is sleeping in there. And I think one of the most interesting things in this passage is that the first line that says, in those days, messages from the Lord were very rare. And visions were not common. 
Now, there are instances in the Bible where God seems to be silent or distant or doesn't speak or doesn't have anything to communicate with people. Um, And our narrative takes place at the very beginning of Israel's history, before there was kings, before there was an actual nation. It was just like kind of a random collection of people who sometimes had a leader and sometimes didn't. And in those days, you just didn't hear from God all the time. Like if you were just a regular person, you didn't have any conversations with God. If you wanted to worship God or converse with God, there were rituals and sacrifices and hoops to jump through, and God's presence was in a specific place, which was the tabernacle. So if you wanted to have, it would be like, if you wanted to have any conversation with God, you couldn't just talk. You would have to come here into this building and do 27 things before you could talk to God. That's what it was like at that point. And there's plenty of stories in the Old Testament where God does interact with people outside of the tabernacle, but it wasn't very common. So the only people who regularly heard from God were the priests and the prophets. That was their entire job description, is this is my job, I'm going to hear from God, and then I'm going to give the message to you. So in our story, it seems like God's been silent for a while. He's not giving anybody messages, not verbally, not in dreams, not in visions, nothing, silent. And so Samuel hears this voice calling his name, and he pops out of bed, and he runs to Eli, and it's his job to help Eli with whatever he needs. So he's like, oh my gosh, what do you need? It's the middle of night. What can I help you with? And Eli's like, I didn't call you. Go to sleep. And he's like, okay, I must have been dreaming. So he goes back to sleep, and he hears his name being called again. So he runs back to Eli, and Eli's like, I did not call you, bro. (laughs) And I'm sure Samuel was very confused. He was like, what, are are you messing with me right now? This is my job. Okay, I'm gonna go back to sleep. Then he hears his name again, So he runs back to Eli, and this isn't, I'm like adding a little bit of flair to the scripture, but like, it says, here I am. That's what Samuel says. Here I am. What do you need? I feel like he's like, what do you want? (laughs) Why do you keep calling me? And Eli's like, hmm, I'm not calling you. Perhaps it's God. So if it happens again, I promise you I'm not calling you. Just say, speak. I'm listening. Okay. Weird story. So there's a lot of layers here. And often when we talk about this passage, we focus on Samuel and what Samuel is doing and God speaking to him, which is great. But I want us to think about Eli for a minute because Eli was the high priest. It was his, he was the ultimate person in charge of all the things related to God in Israel. And he did not recognize when God was speaking. Now, the only people who were hearing from God were the priests and the prophets. And he's the head person and he didn't notice and he didn't understand, and he didn't recognize when God was speaking. If anyone should have heard from God, it should have been him. It shouldn't have been Samuel. It's, Samuel's not a priest. He's just a helper in the temple. And yet God doesn't talk to Eli. Why? Well, maybe he wasn't going to notice. So I submit to you that perhaps God had already tried time and time and time again and over again and over again to get Eli's attention because he had been charged for 40 years. Our text tells us he was nearly blind, which there's many layers to things in the Bible. So yes, physically he was nearly blind, but this is also a metaphor for spiritually. He seems to be very disconnected. It's not just that he's getting old. His spiritual insight is failing. And if you read the, the verses before our passage and the verses after, you'll find out that Eli had two sons. And his two sons were like his second in command. They were next up to run everything. And he failed to correct them. 
He failed to discipline them. Now, they were grown men at this point. They weren't teenagers like Samuel was. But Eli had been in charge for a very long time. His sons were grown, and he didn't correct them. And they were doing all kinds of terrible things. And there were the ones who were in charge, running the day-to-day operations of the tabernacle. Eli was very old. So he was not running all the day-to-day operations. His two kids were. And they were violating not just... They were doing a lot of things. So first of all, they were violating the rules related to sacrifices. So there's some rules that say, once you have made the sacrifice, the priests get to take a certain amount of what's left for their food and for their life because they don't have jobs, so they have to have food to eat. They were just taking the sacrifices up front. They were just taking the whole animal, which is specifically prohibited in the Torah, the law, the first five books of the Old Testament specifically prohibited. And not only were they doing that, the people who were bringing the animals to do the worship, to do the thing, to do what God had told them to do, were like, I don't think you should be doing that. And they were like yelling at them and basically said, you don't want to see me get angry. Like, you better let me do whatever I want. They were intimidating all of the people who came to the tabernacle to worship God, to connect with God, to hear from God. And they were not being faithful to their spouses. There were some women who worked at the front of the tabernacle, serving and cleaning and doing all kinds of things, and they were sleeping with them. (laughs) So they were doing all of these things, and Eli knew about it and didn't do anything. He didn't do anything. Now, this is on like a higher level than, say, like a megachurch pastor being caught in some kind of embezzlement scandal or like being unfaithful to their spouse or something like that. Like, that's a big deal. But this is bigger than that. Think of like the Pope's second in command doing something like that and nothing gets done about it, nothing. The one person who is second in line to be in charge of everything for all the worship is doing these things. And Eli is the only one who can stop it and he doesn't do anything. So is it rare that God was speaking? Sometimes we take what the Bible says at face value. We're like, oh, it says it's rare that God was speaking. So. God must not have spoken at all. Or did Eli not have any idea when God was speaking? Because it's not as though he didn't have the sacred text. It's not as though he didn't have all the processes and procedures. It's not as though he wasn't as close as he could possibly be geographically to God. Because if God's presence is in the tabernacle, that's where God lives, Eli was right there. So he should have heard from God. And yet... God doesn't talk to him. But I think God was talking to him and had probably tried for years, over and over and over. And Eli was in charge of reading the sacred text, the sacred scriptures to everyone else. And yet he continued to allow these injustices to go on. He still allowed God's people to be taken advantage of. He still allowed his kids to run around doing whatever they wanted. And he never said, this should not be. So, is it any wonder that when God calls to Samuel, Eli doesn't realize it's God? Like, Eli should have known. When Samuel's like, someone called me in the middle of the night, we're the only two people here. It wasn't me, and this is where God lives. (laughs) Eli should have been, it's probably God, right? No, he's like, I didn't call you, go to bed. (laughs) And then it happens again, and he doesn't realize. And it happens again, and finally he's like, I wonder... Could it be God, the only other being in this place other than the two of us? He's like, oh, 
If it happens again, just say, speak, I'm listening. It's like it's an afterthought, like he's guessing. <laughs> oh, it might be God. So he tells Samuel how to respond, and Samuel hears God call him again. And this time he's like, okay, now I know what to do. It's not Eli being crazy <laughs> and messing with my mind in the middle of the night. And so he gets this message from God, and I just invite you to read it. Like, read 1 Samuel chapter 3, the rest of it, sometime this week in chapter 4. It's not a nice message. It's really not. It's kind of a shocking message, actually. And I'm just going to summarize it. So essentially, God says to Samuel, Eli's sons are going to face the consequences of their actions, and they're going to die. And there's no escape from that. Like, that's the end. In transmission. Here's what I want you to know, Samuel, you teenager, <laughs> who have worked for Eli for all of these years. His being in charge of this is over. All right, good night. <laughs> That's essentially God's message to Samuel. And Samuel gets the message, and then it says he lies awake the rest of the night. Yeah, I would too. I'd be like, the, one, the first time I've ever heard anything from God, God's like, they're going to die, just so you know. That's it. <laughs> No other words. Not even go tell Eli this or go tell his kids and warn them or like, this is why this is happening or this is the future. That's no, just they're going to die. There's no escape from this. They're going to face the consequences of their actions. They've been doing these horrible things and their choices are going to catch up to them. And in the morning, Eli makes Samuel give him the message. And they did die. In fact, the Bible trivia I mentioned at the beginning where they lost the Ark of the Covenant to the Philistines, that's because of Eli's kids. They take it into battle with them, and they lose it, and they die in battle. They shouldn't have ever gone into battle in the first place, and they certainly should have not have taken the Ark of the Covenant, and they lost it, and they die. And then when Eli gets the message that this has happened, he falls off his chair, and he dies. And it like all of this happens, and I can't imagine... I mean, Samuel doesn't know it when he gets the message, but I can't imagine. Can you imagine just being like, oh, this, it was, not only was it true, it's horribly true. Thanks, God, for giving me that awful message. Why am I the one that gets to know that this is happening? Now, Samuel then goes on to become the first, like he kind of takes the place. He becomes the last judge of Israel. He anoints King Saul. He anoints King David. He's such an important figure that there's two books in the Bible named after him, First and Second Samuel. And like many of the stories in the Old Testament, like we could go so many directions with this, but I just want us to focus on two things. So first of all, hearing from God can be a dangerous business. Now you might think, I would like to think, that the first time God ever talks to Samuel ever, there could at least be some introductions. Or it might be like some pleasantries or a conversation or, I don't know, like a nice message of comfort and hope. No. God's like, hello, Samuel. They're going to die. The end. Carry on. Hope you can sleep. And I have conversations with people, and I know I've said this in my life before. People are just like, I just want to hear from God. I just want to hear from God. That's a wonderful desire, but sometimes I'm not sure we're prepared to hear from God. I'm not sure we're prepared for what we're asking for because sometimes the message is not rainbows and butterflies and sometimes hard things need to be said. 
Sometimes the answer may not be the one we want to hear. Sometimes God says no, right? And when the hard messages come, we just discount them. I know I do. Like, we just brush them aside. Surely that can't be God. Why would, God would not say something that would ruin my life, mess up my world that I've created. God would never do that. Last week, I talked briefly about like starting different and like this process that we went through where we prayed and I, we just, just couldn't make this decision and we were agonizing for months and I was like, should I do this? I don't know. It took months because I felt like God was telling me to do something really hard. <laughs> and I wanted to be like a million percent sure that that was the path before I confirmed that it was God, as if God needed me to tell God that it was God. I was like, oh, thank you for finally noticing that I was talking to you. I didn't want it to be the message. I didn't want the hard thing to be said to me, right? I didn't want to leave my comfy church job. I didn't want to have to leave the college where I was teaching. I didn't want to have to lose my, my faith community. I didn't want to have to lose my relationship with faith leaders who I looked up to and who had poured into my life and like were really important to me. I wanted there to be a different word. <laughs> I wanted there to be a different word from the Lord. I wanted God to be saying something else, something that required no discomfort on my part. <laughs> Because of course that's what I wanted. <laughs> I'm human. I wanted the message of God to be happiness and comfort and peace, right? But instead, God was telling me to get off my butt <laughs> and do something. And it's not a bad thing. Like if you've ever been there where you feel like God is directing you somewhere that seems hard or seems difficult, or God is giving you an answer on something that you have prayed for, and the answer is no, or wait, or not that way. It's okay that you don't like it. <laughs> Give you permission to not like it. You can be human. And I'm not just like, I don't have the ability to give you permission. I mean, I can, but does it mean anything? <laughs> no, but listen, Jesus, in the Son of God, and God himself, right? Jesus does the same thing in the Garden of Gethsemane. He says, I don't want to go through with this. <laughs> I, know what I, I know what I have to do. I know what's coming. I'm going to get murdered. I'm gonna, my, my, one of my closest friends is going to betray me. This is going to be horrible. I don't want to do it. If there's any other way for this to go down, please let it go down that way instead of this way. It says he prayed so hard that like he was sweating blood. I can't imagine praying hard enough to like break blood vessels in your forehead. If Jesus can say, I don't want this hard thing, I don't want this to be the answer, then it's okay if you say that as well. You, you can be honest. God knows what you're thinking anyways. It's not like you're hiding. God's like, do this. And you're like, oh, I don't want to. <laughs> Stupid God. Why is he telling me to do all that? Well, it's okay to be human and say, I don't, if there's any other way, show me that way instead. But what Jesus follows that with is, nevertheless, I will do it. Nevertheless, I'll do it. Hearing from God in an audible event is likely to be a hard message. Like over and over again in the Bible, when God shows up and someone can actually hear what God is saying or see a vision of God or a representation of God in front of them, it is usually not, I'm just coming to tell you everything's going to be fine. It's, I'm coming to tell you that everything's going to change. Like God shows up in, through an angel to Mary, and what does he say? You're going to have a kid. And she's like, okay. 
as a person who has a baby strapped to her, I don't know that I would receive that message very well. Over and over again in the Bible, we have these instances where God shows up in this huge way and it's always something's going to change. Something's going to be different. Something's going to be required of you. And you can do it. I'm with you. I don't, maybe, I probably shouldn't say this. Maybe like don't pray for God to show up that way. (laughs) Unless you're prepared to make a change in your life. But also I feel like we miss all the other ways that God is speaking. So often. Because God speaks constantly to us. We have to be careful not to end up like Eli. Where God speaks and speaks and speaks and tries and tries and we don't recognize it at all. We don't, it's been so long that we don't, we don't hear the softer voice. We don't hear the gentle way that God directs us because we, we don't know what it sounds like anymore. And then when we get hit with God actually saying, hey, then we're like, oh no, God would never talk to me that way. Well, God has been talking to us for years, gently, softly, and maybe we're not noticing. I, I feel like God talked to me for years, <laughs> gently and softly, before he yelled about starting different. Like I should have I done something sooner. I should have got off my butt sooner. I should have been honest sooner. I should have, but I didn't because I wanted to be comfortable and I wanted to be safe. And I, then God had to say, here's a path. So how do we know, how are we gonna recognize when God speaks to us before the audible event? Because that's what we need. The voice of God is available to us in so many softer ways. We have our sacred text, of course. God is always speaking through that. We have the voices of saints through history. There are so many writings and songs and poems that connect us to God. We have the witness of creation around us. I know some people, that's where you feel closest to God is out in creation, out in nature, or maybe when you're singing songs. We have our songs and our prayers written and spoken in our liturgies, and we have the quiet moments that we spend in prayer with God, where God speaks softly to us, if we would just listen. We have those little nudges that sometimes we're like, is that my conscience? Is that intuition? Is that discernment? I don't know. I just feel... I should do this. Sometimes it pushes us towards our path. Sometimes it convicts us when we do something wrong. Sometimes it comforts us when we're overwhelmed. We have all those quiet moments. And beyond all of that, God speaks to us through the voices of other people, through our community of faith. In relationship with others, we actually hear God's voice the loudest and the clearest. Why? Because we are created in the image of God. God speaks to us especially and specifically in the voices of people who are oppressed and who have been discriminated against and harmed by society and culture and the church. And this is a hard message for us to hear sometimes. Can we have the strength to listen? Or do we shut down the conversation because it makes us uncomfortable? We go on our merry way and we invalidate the voice of that person who's speaking. And then we go on our way and we, we have learned nothing, but also maybe we've missed 
the voice of God. We've missed an opportunity for God to speak to us in that space and transform our hearts and minds. And I would love to tell you that I have a handle on listening to God. Like, I'm so good at it. I have all the answers. I should, right? Like, I'm the one up here. I don't. Prayer is practice for me, too. Listening to God is hard sometimes. It's difficult for me, too. I don't always notice when God's speaking. Sometimes I notice and I don't like what God's saying, so I ignore it. Sometimes I spend more time thinking about myself and what I need than really trying to be intentional and create space where God can speak. Sometimes I just do all the talking and I never listen. And listening is part of that practice of prayer. The story of Samuel instructs us in two ways. So one, we should be careful not to end up like Eli, having all of the resources to connect with God at our disposal and wasting them so that we can't recognize when God talks, when it happens. And then finally, I feel like the main point of this is the best response when God speaks. No matter if God is being loud <laughs> or God is being soft and just gently nudging us along is to say, I'm listening. Here I am, I'm listening. That's what we all need when we're going through something, right? going through something hard or we're going through grief or trauma we just need someone to say I'm here and I'm listening and that's what we have to do for God too we have to say I'm here and I'm listening and then once we've heard then we can go put things into action so we're going to sing two more songs so I just invite you to stand we're going to sing two songs and then I will come back and give you a benediction and we'll go on our way for the week